If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello out there and welcome to episode 184 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Michelle Ryan, the Director of Continuing Professional Development at the Law Society of Ontario. Now, Salisa, you took the lead on this conversation. What did you and Michelle talk about? Michelle's been at the Law Society of Ontario for about 10 years now, and we talk about LSO's learning portfolio, and we really focus on how the generational makeup of the learners they serve and other demographic factors translate into what LSO offers and how those offerings have evolved in the past decade or so. LSO serves lawyers and paralegals from the very beginning of of their time in the profession, which might be the age of 25 or so, um, all the way up to individuals still practicing into their 70s and beyond. So their learners easily span a half century. And LSO has a really strong commitment to meeting those learners where they need and want to be met. So LSO has looked at things like accessibility, which led them to add webcasts as an option in addition to their in-person offerings. They've also spent time looking at formats, so they have some shorter formats as well as much deeper dives. And they've made changes in the materials. Uh, they used to kind of historically provide that that full paper that the subject matter expert leading uh, a session might have authored, and now they're moving to things like more immediately useful checklists and practicality really is important to them. Michelle says practicality is a watchword for them. Lawyers usually bill on an hourly basis, so time literally is money for them. And Michelle um, is keenly aware that the professional development they offer needs to be truly useful. Well, I I like that they're clearly focused on what we have characterized as the other 50 years, or more recently, I think we've started calling it the other 60 years, um, that that span uh, of life from the beginning of career up till you know, very late in career and that, that, that career stretch is getting longer and longer. They're, they're clearly tuned into that. And it sounds like Michelle and LSO are really committed to being the trusted source for education among those they serve across that, uh, that span of years. And they're translating that commitment into practical choices about what they offer and how. And of course, you know, these are things we want to see every learning business doing every successful learning business is doing it. Let's find out more and go ahead and roll interview with Michelle Ryan. Welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Salisa Steele, and today I'm joined by Michelle Ryan, the Director of Continuing Professional Development at the Law Society of Ontario, which was created by an act of the Legislative Assembly way back in 1797 to govern Ontario's lawyers and paralegals in the public interest. Michelle, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you so much, Salisa. Lovely to be with you. So to start us off, I want to give you the chance to say more about yourself and and your background and about the Law Society of Ontario. So what else would you highlight for listeners? For sure. So I'll start a bit about myself and then I'll speak about the organization. Uh, So I am a lawyer by training and experience and I've been here uh, with the Law Society of Ontario, which was formerly known as the Law Society of Upper Canada. You reflected on our historical roots, but is now known as the Law Society of Ontario for about 10 years now. 
Uh, prior to that, I had practice experience working as an in-house lawyer, mostly, uh, for corporations uh, in various areas, working on their uh, internal legal work, discussing with business and other related people in the organization about legal issues and concerns. And then I morphed over into a more regulatory aspect for my work joining the Law Society just over 10 years ago. I have actually also worked uh, in some in government capacities here uh, in the province. During that work, I was always very interested in education. I always found that as an in-house lawyer in a company uh, that might be doing medical-related work or pension and benefits work, uh, as the companies that I was in were doing, you had to really be able to explain clearly and well for the various business people you're working with why they should be concerned about particular legal issues or aspects or contractual issues or um, litigation risk management issues. And I really always enjoyed that educational piece. So when the opportunity came to move to a more regulatory aspect and to work in an education-related area about competence and resources, uh, I moved uh, here, as I say, just over 10 years ago. The Law Society of Ontario is, as you mentioned, a very historical organization since the late 18th century, and its purpose is as a regulator for the legal professions in the province of Ontario in Canada. We would be the largest legal regulator in Canada with approximately 50,000 lawyers uh, who are under our banner and about 8,000 paralegals uh, who are legal services providers with a smaller scope of practice than lawyers are. Currently, we're the only jurisdiction in Canada that actually regulates paralegals. We've been doing that for just over 10 years now. And uh, one of my earlier roles here was actually working on the paralegal education portfolio. But the organization, we'll call it LSO for short, uh, does many uh, functions uh, of a regulatory nature. Uh, in addition to our professional education piece, uh, we have practice supports, we have licensing requirements and processes, we have quality assurance processes and groups. Also, of course, on the regulatory side for complaints management and investigation and administrative tribunal function for those lawyers and paralegals who uh, have had their matter proceed past investigation to uh, concerns about whether they should be practicing or in what aspect they should be practicing um, for, for legal professionals. So a very wide gamut. And that's in addition to what I might call some public outreach uh, considerations for uh, equity departments, for access to justice pieces, um, legal education for the public. But all of this comes back to a central piece of the, the LSO being interested in operating in the public interest. So it is mandatory if you are a lawyer or paralegal to be licensed through us if you want to practice in Ontario, uh, but we are not an association that is here for the benefit solely of our members. We are here to ensure that um, legal services are appropriately provided to the public and provided in a, in a quality manner. Well, wonderful. That's great background to have in mind. And, and I want to talk with you mostly, of course, around um, the professional development that LSO is, is offering. And in particular, I, I want to get into um, some of the differences that you've seen uh, around generations and perhaps some other aspects of your learners. But I think before we get into more specific questions, maybe if you could um, 
sketch out kind of LSO's offerings. Um, you know, you've already talked some about whom you serve, but maybe also uh, things like kind of the the number and type of offerings in a year, um, and you know what might be required uh, education versus what might be more um, up to the individual lawyer or paralegal to to just pursue something that's of interest to them. Happy to do so. So obviously, as you mentioned, the organization itself has very historical roots. Uh, but even our department here in uh, Continuing Professional Development, CPD as we call it, has rather historical roots as well. And that's because really our operations or functions had their seed in the uh, in the origin of a special lectures offering uh, right after World War II. So the idea was that lawyers who were returning returning from uh, participating as combatants in the war might need some brush up on developments in the law, procedures, tribunals, etc. Since they had. Uh, been away, and the Law Society decided to put on a series of what they called special lectures in varying topics to help bring these lawyers back up to speed when they resume their practice in Ontario. And so from those roots, we have grown over the many years and changed and developed to our operations today. Uh, Now, we are uh, part of the regulatory group, uh, somewhat separate because we are a provider under that umbrella, but uh, we all are part of the, the LSO. And we're one of a number of many um, public and private providers of legal professional education in the province. So there is a bar association, both a, a national one and a provincial one. There are local law county associations, uh, private providers, of course. So we're one of a number of different groups who uh, make available professional education for lawyers and paralegals. Uh, Ourselves, we offer around 90 different programs per year. Um, Most of these are offered both in-person attendance and by webcast. And then we also make that programming available in a post-program archive format of of what we've uh, recorded for the webcast. Now, of the 50,000 or so lawyers and 8,000 or so paralegals who are in the province, a number of them are not in a private practice or in a practice capacity in which they have to do uh, professional development. So a subset of those are, and about, I'd say about 35,000 plus of those lawyers and uh, more than half of the paralegals are required to take at least some mandatory professional development hours. This came in as a requirement, I believe it was about five or six years ago, which hadn't been before, although self-study and and keeping up to date was very much part of what you needed to do in the legal profession, it became mandatory to have at least 12 hours of professional development per year uh, of many varying um, categories or qualities that you could you could take. Uh, so that 12 hours can be substantive, um, can be in many different practice areas. Um, one subset that you must have is three hours per year of professionalism requirements, which we define as practice management issues, ethical issues, professional responsibilities under your uh, rules of professional responsibility that the the Law Society puts out. So one subset of that must be in this uh, professionalism area. And then a rather new development we've had in the last year or so is uh, one hour. um, It's actually for the first initial three years, it's uh, three hours. And then Moving forward after that, it's one hour per year, but in uh, relation to topics of 
equality, diversity, and inclusion. Mm. Uh, as the change uh, has been noted definitely in um, in the demographics of Ontario and definitely in the demographics of new lawyers and paralegals uh, who have been called to the bar and uh, licensed as paralegals in the province, then the... Um, need was noted to understand the changes in demographics and what that was the importance of that for practicing uh, legal professionals in the province so this um, equality diversity inclusion content uh, has just started last year and and we've been starting to add that into our content delivery as as many other providers have so um, so 12 12 hours mandatory. Uh, as I say, we provide about 90 hours, uh, sorry, 90 programs uh, per year of varying types. So the the main offering that we have are programs. We have a, a dedicated learning space here at the Law Society, the Lamont Learning Center, uh, with uh, great production services capabilities for it, from which we webcast. Uh, and then... Ontario lawyers in Ontario or down the street or across the world can tune in and watch what we've got on offer. It is uh, very much up to the individual learner to choose their content and the provider within this mandatory requirement, and um, and a number of them obviously do choose us. We do provide what I'd say is a fairly broad selection of practice areas and topics for them to choose from uh, quite deliberately. Um, as I say, Pretty much everything is offered as a live program, uh, but we do also do some e-course programming, so asynchronous, learner-directed online programming with interactive elements, and uh, we have been doing a bit of pre pre-recorded programming, which is just made available as an archive afterwards. So um, if you purchase something and you come here and watch it, it, it's yours, and you can watch it hopefully 10 more times after that. Uh, and of course, we do replays of the live programming as well. So, you know, we try and uh, try and make the accessibility availability as best we can. And then within um, within those nine offerings per year, we have certain programs that we offer year after year. We have one going on actually today, which is a real estate summit, two-day real estate summit. So that's a full gamut of two full days of programming, uh, professionalism and substantive. Uh, and then we have programming that's as short as an hour or an hour and a half and webcast only um, might be offered at lunchtime or shortly after the workday is done on a very discreet and, and, um, and specific topic or topics. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing all of that. So it sounds like the the history of, of the professional development goes back a, quite a, a number of years, back to that post-World War II era. But then say again, how recently did the um, the continuing professional development become mandatory? I believe it was about six or seven years ago now. We actually have a split within the organization so that we as provider are not um, the same people who would look at things like accreditation right. of programming so that there is a there is no conflict there between us being a provider and then another group saying, yes, your content is approved for professionalism hours. That's the only content uh, that actually is required to have an accreditation to it. Um, so we 
are an accredited provider and, and judge our own uh, content on that. But other providers would go to another department, not to us, uh, for their professionalism uh, criteria to be met or approved. And uh, so we keep things a little bit separate there. But I believe it's been about six or seven years. And uh, and uh, yes, so we're, we're part of that full sort of selection, if you will, for the learners about what they're looking for. Right. And it sounds like a broad range, both in terms of the subject matters that you're addressing and then the different formats that you highlighted for us. So thank you for that background. I think that's going to be very helpful as we get into um, some more specifics. And uh, it's my understanding that part of what you're doing is, is looking at and paying attention to the generational makeup of your learners and trying to um, use that to help determine priorities and needs of, of different learners that you're serving. And so I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, if I have that right, sort of how long LSO has been taking that generational view of those people, the lawyers and paralegals that you serve, and and what got you started with this idea of, oh, we should be paying attention to uh, perhaps the generational makeup of our learners? I think, Salisa, that probably started in the last uh, 10 or so years, specifically as we saw a significant amount of growth in the number of um, candidates who were becoming licensed as lawyers. And then, of course, with the addition of the regulation of paralegals, which happened, I believe it was in uh, 2007, so just over 10 years ago again. So so the makeup of those people who were coming through to be licensed as uh, legal services providers for the public in Ontario was changing because of that growth, because of the new influx of a different kind of a legal professional in terms of their education and uh, their scope of practice from, from lawyers. So I think around that same time, we started looking as an organization about um, how were we really meeting the learner where they were. Uh, definitely generational was an important piece of that because we have, of course, many, many lawyers here as as many other jurisdictions who uh, would have the same experience of, you know, I'm a lawyer and I'm pretty much a lawyer for life. I, I feel that this is a strong uh, calling and work for me. And although I may hit a particular age where people might think that I might retire, many uh, vibrantly and, and very effectively deliver their legal services far beyond that. So so that had been going on. But again, the nature of who is coming into the profession and being licensed, the new um, category of paralegals, I think really started my predecessors in looking at what is it that we're offering to people? Are we really, again, meeting the learner where they need to be met? Um, definitely on a generational basis, because frankly, we have people uh, a wide age sp- uh, spread between those who would be called to the bar at around maybe age 25 or 26 if they went straight from, you know, undergraduate degree to law school to becoming licensed to those who continue on into their 60s or 70s and beyond sometimes. Um, so that's a really, really large uh, generational group to be covering. And then also because we had other considerations uh, in addition about you know meeting this diverse group, uh, practice area, which in the province, which has urban and rural areas, and it covers a large geographic area, has um, lawyers and paralegals of all different stripes in terms of what kind of services they offer to the public. Um, 
Ontario is a quite a large province uh, with a lot of the population centered around urban areas towards the south in the greater Toronto area, Windsor, Ottawa, Kingston, etc. And then some vast areas farther to the north where there are many practitioners who might have not as much access to traditional types of professional development uh, opportunities. So we are to serve all of those people. That's part of our regulatory mandate. Uh, and then, as I say, um, not just numbers, but diversity of background um, for the people who were coming in as new licensees. And what did that mean in terms of who they served uh, as the demographics of the province changed uh, with more diversity as well? So it's probably been in the background for a while, but I'd say in the last 10 years or so, we've started to... Um, realize and take more steps to see how are we meeting that spectrum of learners uh, with um, accessibility, uh, with ease of signing up for programs, with uh, reaching out to them, as they say, with a webcast, not just having to travel in a more you know traditional format to, to get to see the people or hear the people that you want to hear, um, and to try and keep track of that as, we, as uh, you know, they progress through their professional lives and, and we try and uh, meet that need. To help you meet the needs of your learners, check out our sponsor for this quarter. Community Brands provides a suite of cloud-based software for organizations to engage and grow relationships with the individuals they serve, including association management software, learning management software, job board software, and event management software. Community Brands' award-winning Crowd Wisdom Learning Platform is among the world's best LMSs for corporate extended enterprise and is a leading LMS for association-driven professional education programs. Award-winning Freestone, Community Brands' live event learning platform, is a leading platform for live learning event capture, webinars, webcast, and on-demand streaming. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash communitybrands. And now, back to the interview as Salisa asked Michelle about how they went about discovering the needs and priorities of the different learners they serve. So there's a certain amount of differences and the spectrum of learners that's just, you know, obvious. Um, but I, I'm wondering, you know, once you begin to recognize, okay, there are the different generations, the different practice areas, there are these diversity of backgrounds that people are coming uh, to the, the profession and to the learning um, experiences with. But how did you go about digging in more and really um, discovering the needs and priorities of those different learner groups? I mean, did you hold focus groups, run surveys, observe learners, all of the above, something else? I think probably all of the above. Uh, we haven't do, done too much in terms of focus groups, although I think that might be more in our future. We survey after every program that we have, so we're we're fairly um, strong strong on trying to get from people what they thought of the content pre presented, how we could do better, uh, suggestions for new topics going forward, all those things that really would help us, you know, to to refine and, and create quality that is uh, is moving forward with the times. So that's really important for us. We've always had as a watchword very much about the practicality for our learning because literally for, you know, lawyers and paralegals who often bill on a, an hourly rate, time is money for them. So unless they're getting practical nuggets in their PD from us, um, it might be interesting for them, but it's not going to have the takeaway that they need when they go back to their office and whatever might be on their desk right now. So practical practicality was always a watchword for us. And then it was looking at that really in terms of things like 
accessibility. The webcast move was a huge one for us, given the considerations that I said in terms of geography and time, etc. Um, so that became quite an, uh, an open door for us to really reach people when they wanted to be um, connected in that way. And then uh, an e-commerce, uh, ro- more robust e-commerce program, I would say. We've uh, ta- taken into account in the last three years or so, which lets people who are now these days much more used to self-serve options for ordering whatever they want to online and accessing it or watching different kinds of content, whether it's entertainment of, of any kind or content of news, etc., to really be able to sign themselves up, to uh, sort and find what content they needed and wanted, to consult with us if they wanted further information on something, but to really kind of you know bridge that gap very much. I think those were some important steps that we've taken um, in the past couple of years specifically to really uh, to make sure that we're keeping up with what we might call modern trends and what people are looking for. And so it sounds like you're you're getting at that uh, part of what one of the questions I wanted to to ask around you know the accessibility that you're trying to address through things like the, the webcasts that make travel less important um, or actually eliminate the need for travel in that case and then um, setting up the the e-commerce that allows for more self serve. Are there other um, changes that you've made, either new topics or formats that you've um, begun offering um, so that you can better serve those priorities and needs that you've discovered of the different generations and the other different um, ways that your learners uh, divide themselves into different subgroups? I'd say that's an ongoing sort of portfolio for us. We have what I'd call a standard stable of uh, programs that we offer, like our summit two-day programs, or sometimes they're a one-day in core practice areas, real estate, family, estates and trusts, etc. We've we've had that for probably about 15 or 16 years now. And we've also had what I'd call short, sharp updates of six-minute programs, which are really, you know, again, a practice area of law that might be um, criminal law or uh, administrative law. And you come in and each speaker has about six minutes to really kind of get to their topic, get in, say what they want to say, and then get off. And then uh, from that, we have sort of discrete programming, which looks at more current issues, developments in legislation or case law, and what that needs to be uh, presented to our learners. But we also had changes, I'd say, in things like the materials that we give to people, where um, people think traditionally about a paper, you know, a sort of academic almost type paper being presented and, uh, you know, that being sort of discussed at length. Which we do still, but we also add to it things like precedents and checklists mm. or more infi- informal tips to remember from our speakers and chairs. Um, we actually have all of our speakers and chairs operate on a volunteer basis, so it is a peer-to-peer learning design we have here. And again, that practicality of the watchword of what are you coming to me with? Well, this is something that I've used, and it's it's not a paper, but it's an excellent checklist of things to remember when you're you know trying to draft a motion or you're preparing a closing uh, argument for your um, your case. And we get great take-up from people on that because, again, something that can use very much uh, right away. As well, uh, you know, I'd say we've seen some move towards some, I'm going to say, shorter programming. Again, we have things like our full 
uh, two-day summits or full-day summits. A lot of half-day programming is is what we have. But even, you know, again, a particular discrete or interesting or developing topic, sometimes these have to do with um, changes in technology. Uh, we had an interesting program, I think, a year or so ago on behavioral economics. Um, of course, the uh, artificial intelligence and the impact on the law are things that are, are really of interest to people. So, you know, just offering that gamut of choice uh, and some things, again, if you really, if you're really tuned in or dialed in and you want to see an hour and a half on, you know, two or three particular topics of interest to you because that speaks to your practice area, then, then you know, it might be something that we have to offer you as well. So those short, sharp updates that you're saying were about six minutes each, so it sounds like you uh, hold those together. So it might be a, a grouping of different updates. Is that correct? Yes, usually it's uh, it's centered around a particular practice area of law, so municipal law or real estate or family law. So it'll all be about that practice area, but uh, there could be 30 speakers and they will all have a particular topic they're going to address. We do sometimes pair them up and give them 12 minutes if we need some <laughs> longer, but, uh, but generally the idea is you get up there, you give your six-minute spiel, and then you're done. So, uh, you know, if you're here for the six-minute estates lawyer, then you may be just talking about, um, you know, administering an estate or a particular case law development in that, and that's what you're going to talk about. Maybe you worked on a case or something came across your desk or you have something to share, then uh, it really quickly cycles people through. Right. Uh, that's that. Those are are popular because again, if you're looking for just what's the latest that I should have my, you know, heads up about, then that can be really something that's very helpful for you. Right. And so, ha- have you yet explored sort of unbundling those and making like those six minutes available as just little micro learning um, bursts, or you're keeping them sort of bundled together for the the time being? I'm going to say that's probably something that we were, are going to think about for our future. I'd say one thing that we uh, that the e-commerce robustness allows us to do is to think about, you know, curation of content in a different way. To mm. be frank, and and that is going to be something uh, as we continue to evolve and develop. We want to make sure that we are there again for. Our, generational concerns for those who like a more traditional compiled piece together so that they can get everything all at one go, including sometimes about considerations of the uh, mandatory hours that they want to get, the professional hours, professionalism hours they want to get. But also then, you know, again, what does choice tell you? What what do you want to uh, access that really suits your, um, your practice area and what's on your desk right now? So I think as we move forward, those kinds of pairings. We've always had a bundling aspect of, you know, if you're going to come to something on title searching in the morning, then maybe in the afternoon it's on the planning act because those are key things that might go together for real estate. But, you know, to even keep delving further down uh, as we're, as we're, um, our structure allows that to happen. Great. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about any challenges that you've encountered as you're trying to make sure that you're addressing this broad swath of generations um, of these learners that you're serving. That's one side, the challenges, but also would love to hear too about kind of the, the benefits that you feel that you're able to realize and to deliver to your learners by taking that view of, let's think about the generations and other aspects um, of the spectrum of learners that we're serving. 
For sure. Um, yeah, the breadth is really significant. And, um, you know, it's it's challenging to be a legal practitioner, frankly, at any time, but definitely um, now, um, as it is for many different professions, there is so much information and content that's available to everybody, but whether that's content that's pertinent to your situation. And, and, you know, if you're the professional trying to navigate the best you can for the client who's sitting across your desk, you know, you're, you're trying to give them the best navigation tools that you can to steer them on their case, to help them in their, their share purchase or their business closing, closing. And you want to really be able to somewhat curate that content for them too. So, you know, you have to be out there and confident and, and the knowledge that you're getting from whoever your PD provider is. And we want to make sure that where we can, we're going to try and uh, help you out in that. You know, CPD exists to enhance and maintain the competence of lawyers and paralegals. We're a provider, but, you know, at the end of the day, because we are part of the regulatory umbrella, that is that is our most important function, to make sure that those folks are well, uh, well supplied and knowledgeable so that they can go out and give good services to their clients. And, you know, obviously an experience level of a practitioner who's been called to the bar in two or three years ago is going to be quite different from somebody at 20 plus years. So how we're shaping our content, how we're describing our content for those potential registrants is really key. That they're uh, they're knowing what they're getting before they're signing up and then they're happy what they're getting after the fact. Um, I'd say mostly we look to an intermediate level audience, but, you know, we have a a certain set of programming. We used to call it a practice basics program, but frankly, because we were going in in and observing our learners and found that they weren't uh, just new calls uh, as lawyers, uh, they were sometimes very experienced lawyers who were returning to a practice area. We retitled uh, that to a refresher series uh, because that was just – everybody was not basic. They were sometimes <laughs> coming back from uh, not having done municipal law or estates for many years, and uh, and they wanted to uh, get back up to speed on it. So um, we do advanced programming as well for, for those uh, practitioners who may have more complicated issues uh, on their desk. And sometimes for them, the peer-to-peer learning is as important or more important than the speakers and chairs presented to them. And uh, we had this for many years in a roundtable in-person format. And uh, then we had to try and confront how does that work in a webcast environment. So we made a, a sort of a hybrid approach to it. We had some people come in person, and they uh, discussed amongst themselves in small groups. And then we cut away to a uh, model table when those who were uh, dialing in from webcast wanted to discuss. This was an ethical issues in uh, litigation uh, program so that we could try to serve uh, both of those uh, types of folks who were wanting to come and discuss with their peers person to person, but also those who were watching remotely. So, you know, we tr- we were trying to, um, and we continue to try to, uh, sort of take all of these things into account as best we can, but, you know, we only have so many uh, availability of how many programs we can do per year. Uh, given this breadth, and we try and choose best what we think was going to have the most impact. Um, but obviously, you know, the technological things that we can do, the way that we can 
work with our production services group, the way that we can, you know, analyze and describe and sort and think about the content uh, in a different way also gives us the opportunity to think of that moving forward. You know, how, again, and, and all of this feedback we're getting pretty much continually from our registrants lets us think about what's going to work best for them and, and how we can uh, do that in an effective way. If you want to serve your learners in an effective way, we encourage you to check out our sponsor for this quarter. WBT Systems develops the industry-leading top-class LMS, which delivers transformative professional development experiences for education and certification programs. With a single point of support from in-house integration experts, top-class LMS easily integrates with a wide variety of systems to provide efficient administration and a unified learning experience. WBT supports organizations in using learning technology to help drive growth in membership, increase revenues, and enhance the learning experience. WBT believes in truly understanding your challenges and partnering with you to ensure the success of your education programs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com WBT. And now back to the interview as Michelle offers her advice to peers looking to get a better understanding of their learners from the viewpoint of generations and other key differences. Well, so this is, you know, great. You're you're trying to think about okay, given all the challenges, given the the breadth of the the folks you have to serve, the breadth of the content, where does it make sense to put your uh, admittedly limited resources, since you can't provide to to all people across all topics? Um, and so I'm thinking, you know, you've had to do some of this this planning and decision making around, you know, what to offer and when. Um, and so if you're talking to a peer at, at another learning business and, and they're coming to you for some advice, perhaps about how best to get started on a generational view of learning or uh, another way of, of, um, of dividing up those learners so that they can best address them, you know, do you have any um, suggestions based on the efforts and experiments that, that you've done to date um, for that peer who's really looking at how to best understand the spectrum of learners they're serving? Well, I think obviously you want to start with your learners first. So if you have sort of an evaluation strategy or surveys, see what those are telling you because, of course, adult learners, you know, we we rely on them best to know what they need best and they're because they're most dialed into that. Um, I think, you know, what we've done in the last few years especially is to try and think very critically about the content that we're offering from that learners or registrants point of view. I mean, the changeover from the, you know, practice basic series to the refresher series is kind of a good example, even if it's a small one. If, if that really wasn't meant to be just a basic piece, but it, it was meant to help people who might be switching over in a practice area from one area to another, then, you know, calling it practice basics might sound a little too junior for some people and put them off a little bit, but a refresher anybody can take. I can definitely use with a refresher most days. So, <laughs> you know, I think those kinds of things were, you know, be, be willing to sort of question everything a little bit and then and see and you know build obviously on your strengths the the summits and the six minute programs we've been offering for a number of years uh, continue to go strong and we we take that critical eye within those um, sort of delivery models and say okay what is working for us what is resonating well with our um, 
with our constituency. And our tremendous benefit, of course, is because of the nature of our folks, of lawyers and paralegals, they are not uh, shy about telling us about what they really thought of things. <laughs> and they will they will advocate for what they'd like to see more of. And that's really helpful for us. We might not be able to get to all of it this year or, or next year, but, um, but we definitely take it very seriously. And... Um, and because of the, you know, professionalism and peer-to-peer model of trying to help and mentor people, those people who are involved with us in these things are really committed to that. So they will work with us in bringing in newer things like we've done the last couple of years of polling or we have a, a chat function on our um, – on our programming, you know, when it's taken up, people love it. And if that's not their thing, they don't have to do that. But, uh, but it really helps propel us sort of to the the next level. And then we just sort of say, okay, that's great. Let's consolidate on what's worked well for us. And let's, you know, debrief and see about those things that didn't work quite as well and keep moving forward. Great. So it sounds like big piece of advice is to trust the learners to be able to tell you um, what what's working for them and and what they need. Um, and so putting those avenues in place, if you don't have them already, and if you do have them, making sure that you're uh, mining that data, mining that feedback to, to get direction. Absolutely. And our, you know, some of our marketing data tells us that about who's coming to the programs and who's not. Um, but yes, I mean, again, you know, anybody in any kind of professional capacity these days, it's a challenging environment to keep up to date with all of the rapid pace, whether it's in technology or in your your um, area of expertise in and of itself, is a lot. So where you can find those strong supports to help you do that, and again, we exist for that reason. Um, we, we are here to try and help people do better at their job um, so that they can serve the public better. Um, so those are going to be really strong allies, if you will, in terms of trying to shape what you are going to look to towards for the future. So... Well, and speaking of the future, I wanted to get your thoughts on the major opportunities and threats that you see for your uh, continuing professional development there at LSO, and and also I think thereby perhaps uh, in general for other learning businesses, other organizations that are providing professional development and continuing education, lifelong learning, they might be facing similar uh, opportunities and threats. So, you know, just kind of big picture, what do you see as some of the top opportunities and, and threats? Well, I think there's just so much potential for learning in all different aspects because technology has shortened that window between the learner and the provider in some ways and taken out, you know, middle people, if you will. And that's a great opportunity. But then it's like, okay, there's so much choice. What do we do? What do I do as the learner? What do I do? What do I choose to do with my resources and time as the provider? You know, how do you make sure that you're shaping your offerings to best meet whatever your organization's mandate is. As I said, ours is uh, is to try and enhance and maintain competence for people. So we have considerations about a competency mandate, and we've moved in the last couple of years towards considering a competencies-based curriculum for much of our learning. So that's to satisfy stakeholders who we have and considerations that we have on the regulatory side, and also to make sure that we're meeting, uh, as I say, people who they are so that they can have uh, an informed experience. You know, are they really satisfied with the kind of learning we're getting when there is so much choice out there? I think that's 
again, both an, an opportunity and, and a threat. I mean, there's, there's lots of people who can just go on the computer and randomly type in any particular legal question of any kind um, and get varying types of answers back. But I think the, the j- definite expectation when people come to one of our programs is because of who we are and because we have a high emphasis on quality, they're going to get a really strong answer and uh, presentation and program from us of reliable uh, expertise and information that they can then go forward and use in their own practice. So, you know, I think I think navigating that choice, uh, both for the learner side and for us on the provider side, so that you're making the right decisions for your offerings is is probably what's key when there's just so much choice out there. Right. That's uh, you know, as can often happen that the, the opportunities and threats being sort of the, the two sides of the same coin, all of the, um, all that technology uh, that's enabling and all the choices that we have being both um, an opportunity and a threat for learning businesses. So next to last question, and this is one that we ask of all guests who come on the Leading Learning Podcast, um, and it's one that's focused on your personal learning specifically. And what I'd like to know is what's one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? That's a great question. I mean, there's probably been a lot of them because I really like to learn, first mm-hmm. of all. Um, but one of the ones that came to mind is when I learned, I started to learn a couple of years ago how to ski. And so this is important to know that I really don't like heights very much. (laughs) And uh, I had one rather disastrous ski experience in many years ago and sort of swore off the hill from then. But, uh, but uh, due to a partner who's really involved in love skiing, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go. And um, I'd probably say that, you know, if you put yourself in a position where you have to try something new, uh, whether it's a, a physical hobby or, you know, an intellectual pursuit that you really don't know how to do at all. Um, it's helpful because mm. it puts you in your <laughs> shoes. You understand the fear of doing something new that you're unfamiliar with and people are going to look at you and say, wow, she really doesn't know how to ski. <laughs> and then, uh, and then getting, uh, you know, being able to rejoice a little bit when you make progress, even if it's rather modest progress, because you're going along the journey, learning journey, right? Uh, you have to challenge yourself to keep striving for more. Uh, it makes you humble when you, in my case, fall down a lot. <laughs> uh, you can't master something quickly and it, and it helps you empathize with, you know, learners. And, you know, it's difficult sometimes when we become adults and, and we get a lot of good things we can do under our belt and, and, you know, maybe you get some competency in lots of different areas and you pick up things fairly quickly. But I remember, I think uh, it was Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, a couple of years ago reading, and she suggested you should do one new hard thing every year. And I don't know if I could do it every year, but this one in the last couple of years really, um, really sets you back and puts you in the learner's seat. And that's, I think, a really helpful thing to know and to experience carrying forward when you're trying to be, you know, the educator or the provider of the educational material. Mm, that's a great uh, story. Thanks for sharing that. This, uh, this way to shed our, our curse of knowledge when you actually that's put yourself right. in those right. beginner shoes or beginner ski boots, I guess, in this case. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so last question. If listeners want to learn more about um, LSO or connect with you, where should they go? 
Well, they can definitely check out the Law Society of Ontario website, which is www.lso.ca. And there's a multitude of um, information there about what the organization does. And then, of course, what uh, CPD within the organization does, as well as some of our, you know, sort of sister departments here that do practice supports and resources, uh, mentoring, those kinds of things that that also helps support competency. Um, so I think they could really find a lot about um, what we offer as a regulator. And within that, that's where our e-commerce system and our programming is all listed. Um, they can absolutely check out there and, and uh, get much more information about what's what's on for the LSO. And for me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so please feel free to uh, look me up or message me. Happy to, to respond to any further interest or questions. Um, I'm always learning from from my other uh, peers within the same uh, area as as I am and uh, happy to get experiences, both good and bad, that people have because it uh, contributes to what we're thinking about in in terms of our offerings to our constituency. So please uh, feel free to look me up there too. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for making time for the Leading Learning Podcast. Michelle, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Salisa. I did too. That concludes our interview with Michelle Ryan. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 184. When you check out the show notes, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps Jeff and I to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. And we say this every episode. We hope this is the episode where you go and act and do this. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. Or if you use a different service, every service is going to have a place to give ratings and reviews for the podcast you listen to. So Lisa and I really appreciate your rating and review, but even more importantly, those reviews and ratings play a critical role in helping the podcast show up when people search on content that's focused on the business of lifelong learning. And we'd be grateful if you would check out our sponsors for this quarter. You can find out what Community Brands has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash communitybrands. For more on WBT Systems and Top Class, visit leadinglearning.com slash WBT. And finally, if you're getting value out of the podcast, please, please do tell others about it. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. That'll pop up a tweet for you to just hit send on. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning. And of course, you can share us with others there. However you do it, please spread the good word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.